All right, so as uh, Andrew said, um, my name's Andy, and sorry, it's a, it's a weird German last name, so it's, hard, it's not Coasters, it's Kesters. Uh, but I um, uh, have loved working on the National um, Committee for uh, the Next Gen Council for, at the GA level with uh, Andrew and, and Meg. And so this is uh, Unstoppable Youth Ministry, and uh, this particular session is Unstoppable Partnerships in Youth Ministry. I'm going to start out with uh, a couple stories. Um, and really this comes down to uh, some things that I noticed uh, as I was kind of starting in volunteering youth ministry and in uh, serving on staff at a church. There were some things I was noticing that just kind of kept coming up, okay? So a couple of brief stories. Um, Kurt uh, was a, a young man um, who was coming out of junior high, going into high school, was in an awesome family. Like, he had parents who were telling him the gospel at home, they were talking to him about the Lord, and uh, it was really neat to see the way that Kurt's family, how he was getting poured into. So he's making that transition into high school, and uh, he was actually homeschooled at one time, okay? And so when he's going to high school, he starts to go to a public high school. Well, uh, Kurt, ends up feeling kind of lonely, kind of isolated a little bit at some level, but he, he starts making some friends. And it, it, it first came down to he was having similar music interests with these friends of his, okay? Well, um, as he was hanging out with these guys more and more, um, his parents were starting to notice that something was a little off, not right, and um, they were a little suspect of the friends he was hanging out with at some level. Um, well, then one day, uh, his family had this great, neat yard, and uh, there was a barn kind of back in the back of the, uh, their property. And so the dad goes back just to see what Kurt and his friend are doing in the barn, and he finds them smoking pot together, okay? And so uh, at some level, his dad was surprised, but at another level, he wasn't because he had seen some things going on, you know? Um, well, uh, this kind of started a, um, a trajectory of, of Kurt's parents coming alongside him to help him kind of come out of this pit that he had gone into. And part of that was um, they had found out that he had been, you know, buying marijuana at school. Um, that he had been uh, interacting with certain kids in his in his grade as freshmen that um, and also buying from kids older than him um, and so they had him go to the school and apologize to the leadership of the school the principal they had him go to parents of other kids who he had brought into the circle of smoking and getting into stuff they shouldn't have been involved in. Um, I mean, they were really helping Kurt go down this road of how do we reconcile with people? How do we, how do we clean this up, you know, God's way? So as you can imagine, this was a really hard road for Kurt. And he actually ended up getting expelled from school. Okay? And... Um, 
he lost uh, pretty much all those friends that he had before. This was really hard for this young man. So me, as, as the, the youth director at the church, uh, this was a key moment for, for, that the Lord used me and others to come alongside Kurt, and more importantly, to come alongside the things that his parents had been doing. It's like they had established this great foundation, even though it was a very hard foundation at that time, but there was all these years before that that they had been pointing Kurt to Christ and establishing these awesome foundations, biblical foundations, um, in his life. So that then when he was lonely again, but in a new way, myself being one of God's people to come alongside him was a great thing and to help him and to come alongside his parents and what they were doing. So that's one story. Uh, another story is about Jack, okay? Jack was invited to start coming to our youth group by another friend uh, whose family came to the church regularly. Uh, Jack's family didn't know the Lord. Uh, Jack didn't know the Lord. And he starts coming to uh, all the youth events that we're having. And uh, Jack's a great guy, um, kind of a fun-loving guy. Everybody kind of appreciates him. And uh, I think he started coming maybe his, his sophomore year. And really, he, he came kind of through his senior year. Um, and uh, we enjoyed having him. Uh, I was able to, to talk to him about the Lord. Other people were able to talk to him about the Lord. Our youth group and our church were, were a safe place for him to come and, and learn about the Lord. But as, as, uh, as the case is many times, um, Jack, after he graduated or whatever from youth group, um, it was like he kind of fell off the face of the earth. And he never came to know the Lord while he was there in our youth group, but it, there was that sense in which it's like, well, there goes another guy that maybe we could have, more could have been done. Um, and so, you know, I, I kept in contact with Jack a little bit. Um, and, and even to this day, I don't think he, he knows the Lord. Uh, and this was a long time ago. And I, I just, I'm friends with him on Facebook, you know. And so I see kind of what's going on with Jack. Um, I, tell these, I tell these two stories to kind of, to articulate at some level what kind of kept gnawing at me as, as, a, as a youth worker. As I was uh, interacting with parents, interacting with students, interacting with the rest of God's people in the church, there were certain things that just kind of kept gnawing at me. And I was trying to kind of put my finger on what just didn't seem to be right and what was missing. So some things that we learned from, from Kurt's story, you don't have to write all these things down. I, I, I totally botched a rule about PowerPoint. Don't make wordy PowerPoints. Okay, sorry. In some cases, they're kind of worried. But, you know, for Kurt, uh, his story, before he ever had any kind of youth ministry in his life, or any children's ministry, for that matter, at the church, he had parents and grandparents who were evangelizing and discipling him. Okay? Which was an awesome thing. He had parents who had laid a foundation of God's ways in his life that he had uh, real, that they saw, uh, I, that's a typo, um, real life application. So they saw those things going on. 
uh, I got to be an important part of God's plan for his life in pointing him to Christ. I was one of God's people meant to come alongside him. And my role came alongside what his family was doing. So like the, the more solid foundation of what his family had been doing, I got to come alongside that, right? They were the most important role, but I was important as well. And the Lord uses both. Okay, so that's something we learn from his story. From Jack's, you know, it was great that he got invited to church. Um, it was great that, you know, you love to see kids invite their friends. Or like friends of families end up coming. You love to see that. Um, and he found a community, like I said, that was safe. And encouraged, he was encouraged by, and he heard the gospel there. Um, but here's, here's the thing. There, there was a greater opportunity for more people from the body to share their lives with Jack. There was a greater opportunity there. And I would say even if I would have known a little bit better about how to talk to that family that knew him, that, had in, you know, that the, the one boy had invited him to, I would have gone to those parents and said, hey, what's it look like for you to be inviting Jack into your home and you showing the gospel to Jack? in your home. You know, I just didn't know those kinds of things. It was like things that I noticed that were missing that, that could have built a stronger foundation in the ministry to the next generation. But I just wasn't, know, I just didn't know how to articulate it and do it. Um, and beyond that, so not only just the, the, the other students who could have poured into them and maybe other youth leaders and parents, but were there other people in the body beyond me and just a few volunteers to pour into Jack. There were. This was a church for about 250 people. There were other people who could have been coming alongside Jack. Okay, so uh, as I was noticing these things and not really able to articulate them, but just kind of saying, okay, what's, what's wrong here? Um, I started doing a lot of reading and, and there were lots of other studies and things like that that were coming out uh, around this time that Others were noticing what I noticed, but they were much more creative and uh, more awesome at noticing these things and putting it on paper. Um, so one of the main things, and you've probably heard of this, maybe you haven't, is uh, uh, Christian Smith and the study that he did at University of Notre Dame, National Study of Youth and Religion, started in 2002, 2003, and he kept touching base with these youth for years to come. Um, I think... I don't know if they're still touching base with them. They might be. But I know at least for 11 years, they kept coming back to these youth to say, what is shaping their spirituality, their religious life? What is shaping that? So um, even in 2014, when these 13 to 17-year-olds that they had grabbed, they were now 24 to 28 years old. And they were still looking at the trends of what were, were happening in their life. So it's an awesome study. So I encourage you, I think it's called Soul Searching is the book. That was the first one. And then he's, he's done other books that kind of followed up with the research. So one, one of the things that came out of it, one of the main things, when it comes to the faith of their children, parents get what they are. I mean, it's kind of an equals kind of thing. You know, if... If parents are just kind of going to church, but they're not talking about the Lord in their home, 
then it makes it seem like the stuff that's going on at church that is supposed to be a big deal really isn't a big deal. And so you would see this direct correlation. They saw it over and over and over again. It was like 1% of students who had some kind of vibrancy faith life, 1% of those who had no parent who were teaching them about the Lord in their home, only 1% of them actually had a vibrant faith life as they got older. So, huge indicator, one of the strongest factors, parents who talked about their faith in the home and also parents and teens who attended worship together. Okay, so I'm just citing a couple of the main things that establish these, these really key criteria, okay? You can look up all the other stuff. I mean, there are tons of implications that come out of this research. The other one that was done a little bit later, uh, Fuller Youth Institute, uh, they did this uh, Sticky Faith um, uh, study uh, with Kara Powell and Chap Clark. Some of the main things that came out of that, clear and honest understanding of the gospel and biblical faith. A lot of young people, either by their parents or by their churches, there just wasn't a clear understanding of what the gospel really was and what biblical faith looks like. So they didn't even know, like, really, like, what it meant to come to Christ. So, I mean, you think about a, a clear indicator of whether a, a young person is going to have a vibrant faith life. First of all is conversion. I mean, do they know the Lord Jesus and love him and follow him? I mean, that's going to, of course, make the difference. But there's these other things that it's like, okay, what's going on in the home? You know, faith conversations in the home is another indicator that they saw students who had these vibrant faith lives, there were faith conversations going on in the home. And then the other one was a connection to the body of Christ, a significant connection to the body of Christ. Okay, so it wasn't like they were, they, if, if, a, if a student just had an experience of just kind of being in youth ministry and there wasn't a larger connection to the body, then that indicated that they would not have a vibrant faith life later on. Okay? So that five to one thing I put there, that just has to do with, you know, many youth ministries and, and ministries in general, they're thinking, all right, how can we get one leader for every five kids to kind of cover them, you know what I mean? And make sure that they're getting, you know, attention and discipleship, one leader for every five kids. But the study found that actually kids who had vibrant faith, that they had more like five significant people in the body of Christ who were pouring into each kid. Well, these studies were really just kind of showing what we actually could have figured out all along on our own if we actually just looked at what God's Word said about what it means to minister to the next generation. So God's Word has always had the right emphasis on the right foundational ways to evangelize and disciple youth. Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the hard truth. The scriptures do not say anything specific about a, a, a youth ministry model that we've been used to for the past several decades. Okay? It doesn't. There's nothing in there about, you know, uh, hey, you know, take, take the youth and do these different games. and I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, or or um, let's segregate this, these age groups out. There's just nothing about that. The only kind of stuff that's clearly presented really is parents, 
young people being connected to the body of Christ and the body of Christ pouring into them. And then lastly, just general evangelism to youth, to anybody, general evangelism to anybody, but that would include children and youth. So reaching kids in our community, in other families, our neighbors, just kids that are near us, that the Lord puts around us, right? Those are the three things that we see scripture that specifically say how to reach the next generation. Those three things. So what does it say specifically? We'll go through a few of them. These two things are just huge in general. Um, Matthew 19, uh, you know, the children are being brought to him. He would lay his hands on them. The disciples, this is great. The disciples were rebuking him, or they, they rebuked them. And then Jesus, um, Jesus then says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. I've asked myself many times, this question kind of haunts me sometimes. How are we as churches hindering the next generation from really coming to Jesus, from pointing them to Christ more faithfully? How are we hindering them? Um, then there's this thing uh, where the disciples are they're arguing um, who was the greatest, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. So how are we welcoming children and bringing them to Jesus? What are we doing that's hindering them? You know? Um, then there's, there's uh, lots of different places in Scripture. I just put a few here. Parents being the primary disciplers and evangelizers of their children. So Deuteronomy 6 is a big one. You just get this picture of what everyday life in a family looks like. You talk about the Lord and His ways when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise, when you walk along the way, just when you're in the car, when you're, you know, talking at the dinner table, when you're doing stuff together. You talk about the Lord and what He's up to, how He saved you, you know, all the different things, just talking about the Lord. And then, the, I love it, if you just read Deuteronomy 6 in general, the whole thing is about passing, I mean, almost the whole thing is about passing things on to the next generation. So later on, then you get, I love this, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And then there's this very specific, it's like, it's like the Lord sets up this answer that, that the parents are supposed to, have, like, and it, and it goes into... The Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of slavery. And this, these are all the great things that the Lord has done for us. And, and we want to follow him because he's so great and he loves us. You know what I mean? It's like this great answer. And it almost is like a, a great equipping answer for parents. Like, how do you, you know, um, what would be our slavery story that we would share with our kids, right? Of the Lord delivering us. Uh, then in the Proverbs, you, hear, you see this, uh, I mean, the Proverbs, in some ways, you could say the whole thing is, is about uh, Solomon, and he, starts, he, he reiterates this a few times, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So there's this clear thing of parents passing on wisdom to the kids. In Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, 
Then, uh, as I said, you know, you have the parent piece. Then you have God's people. They are important secondary disciplers and evangelizers. So Psalm 78 is all about how we're going to tell the coming generation about the Lord. It's a great psalm. I encourage you to read that soon. Um, how are we going to tell the coming generation about the Lord? And then Titus 2, there's this model of you have the older women teaching the younger women. You have the older men teaching the younger men. Like what it means to live godly lives. So we're supposed to be all in on this together. Pointing the next generation to the Lord. How long have I gone? I'm over a little bit. Okay, so... I want to bring up something a little bit later, but I want us to, to have a little bit of discussion around the table right now. Just about these things I'm bringing up. Now, remember the, the, um, uh, the last piece, really, okay, because, uh, and I don't have a slide for this, sorry. Um, evangelism of youth, okay? Not every young person has the gift and privilege of people who are pointing them to Christ, whether it's a family or a church. So there are the spiritual mother and fatherless out there. And so God's people need to become the spiritual mothers and fathers that these young people need. And so like when you see things like uh, in 1 Peter where it says, you know, um, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light so we can, you know, declare the excellencies. Declare his excellencies. So, I mean, that's all we're doing. I mean, that's... That passage is just talking about like doing that for any age group, but that would apply to children and youth. So how are God's people doing that as, as a group, not just, and I, I'm sorry like if this digs into you a little bit here, but if we're just relying upon a staff person and a few volunteers and we say the youth are taken care of, the youth are taken care of in the community, the youth are taken care of in this church. I think we're missing a larger picture here that God has laid out in his word and that now these studies and statistics have showed us there's something much deeper going on here. Does that make sense? So, here's the question to start off around your table, okay? Do you notice these things? What, what signs of these things are you noticing maybe in your church? So let's start out with that, okay? What are you noticing that would affirm some of these things that, that I've brought up from these studies, from God's Word? Let's just start with that, and then we'll start getting into later what can we start to do, okay? Does that make sense? All right. Turn to one another in your tables. Yeah. And we disconnect from the rest of Scripture saying, okay, bring them to me. Yeah. You know, have them, not just have them come to me, but lead them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about a, a big shift for so many congregations to start seeing themselves as all in on this. Um, that doesn't happen overnight, uh, for sure. Yeah. Talk about this a little bit with you. Yeah. Our church started kind of into this vision and we've canceled all our Sunday morning programming and our families are, 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 are in on it, they understand now. 
still going to worship with their families, but these spiritual conversations aren't happening with families away from church at all. And so while they're worshiping together and they're here and they're volunteering while they're plugged in and they're healthy here, away from here because of the segregation of life or the busyness of life, uh, that's not happening. So our students are still failing to grasp the gospel and scripture in a lot of ways. So that's just how do we get that, that next piece to get parents to start buying that Deuteronomy vision away from church in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So so awesome that they're worshiping together. Yes. And still noticing that other piece of, of parents really pointing their kids to Christ more intentionally, needing to be there. Yeah. What about you guys? We bounced all over. Um, <laughs> but I think where we ended was a, a good spot. We, we have a lot of different con or context that we're in, but ultimately the discipleship question is difficult. When we're talking about this, we're both saying, how do we disciple kids? But how are we discipling the parents we have to mm -hmm. disciple their kids? Yep. And yep. personally, I won't speak for everyone, but my, my, my feeling of just bouncing my head against the wall when all we can sometimes get from families in terms of discipleship is on worship hour. Mm -hmm. um, and 45 minutes on a Sunday morning of hearing a sermon is not discipleship. So mm -hmm. I think reformatting our discipleship model yeah. to equip the body to disciple, yeah. not just receive. Yes. So, but we had different iterations of that, but I would say that was our. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, that is one of the, the, the biggest challenges we see to this. I mean, you know. Um, don't, don't take this the wrong way at some level, you know, but that's a longer, harder road to get there than what we've become accustomed to, which is we hire somebody, we get a few volunteers, and we throw them at the kids. I'm, I'm really like, please don't take that like in a... Because I believe the Lord has given us the freedom to have youth ministries. Does that make sense? He's given us the freedom to do that. But if we make that freedom that we have to do that supersede the foundational stuff that needs to be going on, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we see what we see with the next generation. The freedom that we have to do can come alongside the foundation, but it can't be to the neglect of the foundation. Does that make sense? Um, so, but the, but the foundational stuff is the longer harder road, especially with what we have culturally going on and what, what has been built up in churches over the past several decades. What about your table back there? Um, we came in late, so we sat back here. And, uh, and I just tried to touch on one thing about discipleship that uh, we discussed more out of my experience is um, in our church and our youth director right up here, Meg um, Okay, yeah. We have youth that are coming to church mm -hmm. are now bringing their parents. Yeah. You might yep. think in youth groups, uh, they're just picking the best youth groups so that their parents are in other churches. These parents aren't in churches. Yeah. So there's a unique challenge now of those of us who don't have children in the program, but maybe helping to disciple the parents yeah. of kids who the kids may know more about the Bible now than the parents. Yeah. And uh, that. Uh, those of us who don't have kids in the program still have a real responsibility yes. for discipleship for um, the children. And, and I think in worship, there's a whole different experience 
knowing who's sitting the left of you and the right of you, yeah. even though they're much younger, yeah. um, that you're connected in, in some way through their parents or connected directly yeah. with them. Um, I'm, I'm one, uh, my four girls have grown up and all that, and I'm a semi-active uh, person that helps Meg out every once in a while mm -hmm. and things, and to see those youth yeah. is, is incredible. And I, I see them in the halls, I communicate, so I feel more of a community. Yeah. I, lo I love the things that you're, you're saying that you're thinking about. And I would encourage you, brother, delegate that vision to others. Like, keep talking, you know, like, how can we have eyes for these people around us? You know what I mean? And, and um, I love how, too, there's that example of the, these young people. So, like, you have a youth ministry that is reaching, un, you know, the, the spiritual mother and fatherless. And they're starting to bring their parents to church. I mean, here's the thing, like, this isn't about a formula, like, we can see the foundational stuff that the Lord has, has said, these are the ways to point the next generation, but thankfully, the Lord works with, like, that's his plan A, okay, like, and we want to, we want to get people to plan A as best we can, right, but thankfully, he's working with plan B and C and D and E, you know, I'm not plan A, my parents, you know, we went to church or whatever, but I, they didn't tell me about the Lord at home. You know, so then I had young life leaders and other people who were pointing me to Christ, thankfully. Um, so you guys, you're talking about a situation where you have, it's not the, the plan A, but man, if, if those kids' parents came to know the Lord, that would be huge for those kids. I mean, that's, then you're talking, it's switched around then. And now you have these parents who love Jesus who can point their kids to Jesus. All the while, while the church is trying to come alongside them and help them and disciple them. Yeah. I, I think the issue that I found in general, and this is a symptom of it, mm -hmm. is the church has kind of forgotten how to make disciples. Yeah. Yeah, there's some bigger yeah, I mean, things above that, this. Yeah. So, so even as we deal with this, I'm going, boy, I'm just mm -hmm. thinking on the general issue of yep. how we just have discipleship Yeah. And this is, a, this is a wonderful focus to see exactly why it is so needed, yeah. especially in that situation. Now you have these brand new people that you go, okay, we're discipling one on one. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you said is right. You, we're talking about like you, you can almost go up a few notches to like the bigger issues that this is a symptom of, and one of them is um, just things like, are God's people ready to share their lives with other people? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're in some ways it's just we're so wrapped up in our own stuff. We're not, we're not ready to share our lives. I think it's in First uh, Thessalonians uh, where Paul is, he, he's talking about, he's, he's validating his ministry and he's saying, um, you were so dear to us that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. Like people were so dear to us. And so some of the question is, are people dear to us that we want to come alongside them and disciple them? Yeah. I think it gets back to what you said uh, earlier about the Florida Institute just saying there's no clear understanding of the gospel. Yeah. And our definition of even what a disciple is, in many cases, is so such a low bar mm -hmm. that we've lost track of that. And yeah. I would imagine if that same study was done among parents, there would be a, a super lack of understanding of yep. the clarity of what the yeah. gospel is even. Yeah. Um, yeah. And faith-based righteousness. Or, I mean, workspace righteousness as opposed to credit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, your table. What was one thing you guys would say? Oh, um, with the 
couple things. I asked the question of how do we get parents to not um, babysit or drop off even their teenagers mm -hmm. to, um, and hope that they'll suddenly magically become clean after going to youth group yeah. and awesome and moral and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, uh, but uh, Meg mentioned that they, uh, they just, there was someone who said, hey, I want to do this trip and invited everyone to come and do something, do a trip together down in Puerto Rico, right? And um, it was powerful. Like, it, by doing that, it sounded like by doing that thing together, yes. it really gelled people together and those parents recognized the importance of being yeah. with the youth and the impact that they had on their lives. And yeah. so, I think that's, a, for me, who oversees people who do, do stuff, like there's often this like disconnect like, oh, just let the youth workers do it. But instead of saying, hey, congregation, how can we invite the youth into or into that or yeah. something of that nature, but really getting more getting yeah. people in touch point with our youth. Yeah, to get some of those things started, we have to facilitate some of it. Yeah. Like, you want to see it happen organically, of course. And believe me, like, when I see churches having to facilitate people's Christian lives too much, that gets under my skin at some level. But at the same time, we're, we're, here's where we want people to be. We, we want people to get to hear with the Lord, you know, and here's where they're at. And we got to shepherd them along the way, you know, to get there. And so sometimes it's, let's go on a mission trip and let's have families go together. And, and then we'll see what the Lord does with that, you know? Yeah. Five minutes. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Yep. I, wanted to add, I kind of got this from our conversation. I was really just mostly listening. But um, one thing that's really stood out to me that touched and made when you shared this really touched me is the old paradigm of church was invite people to worship. Mm -hmm. And then from there, hopefully, they'll attend a Bible study. Yeah. And then perhaps after attending Bible study, they'll be ready to go and serve. Yeah. And I, and I think that we need to look at where the church is at today and where, well, really where the world is at today. Yeah. And I think much more. Um, just, I think where we need to put more of our effort as the beginning point of discipleship mm -hmm. is flipping that paradigm. That we're going to start by offering service opportunities for people to come know Christ through that. Then perhaps after that, they'll attend a Bible study and they'll want to know more about the Christian mm -hmm. faith and scripture. And then following that, then they'll be ready to join a community of faith. And yeah. I, I think that, and that's what you shared with me, that was really, and that really stood out to me just because I just, I see that with a lot of kids. Like, they're ready to go out and do something. They want to know, people want to know that when they, when they commit their lives to Christ, that it yeah. has meaning and purpose. And yeah. it's not just like, you know, so they, you know, have comfort when their dog passes away. It's, yeah. it's so that, which is beautiful as well. I don't think that's wonderful, of yeah. course. But it's also so that, like, so their life has purpose and meaning. Yeah. And I think that, I think that to me, that's my perception of where. Yeah, we, we have to notice. Yeah. We have, to, we have to notice how the culture has changed around us and go after people. I mean, it's, it's through relationship more now than what it used to be. It's, it's, there's just, we have to pursue after people. I mean, it's always been about pursuit. I mean, the way Christ pursues after us. I mean, he comes after us. So it's always been about us pursuing after people and sharing our lives with them. It's always been about that. But I think the way our culture is now, it's like it's really, like that just shows itself even more. All right, I want to end uh, with, um, okay, one of, the, one of the themes you're going to see in here, and I'm going to go through these super fast, so you may want to take a picture of this. I can always email it to you, okay, if you want me to. 
But we talk about, so unstoppable youth ministry, unstoppable partnerships, okay? So um, one of the themes we're going to talk about is what are stoppers to God's unstoppable ways, okay? So here's, here's some stoppers that I was thinking about. Elders and church leaders who don't spend time intentionally discerning the spiritual climate of the homes. If that is not a priority of the elders of the church, that's a problem. Okay? And that's all the elders. It's not just the youth elder. Now, you can maybe have somebody who, who emphasizes something a little bit more, but the elders have to be on board about that. Elders and church leaders who don't impart the biblical vision of parents pointing their kids to Jesus as an integral to the spiritual health of the child. So if a church is not spending time delegating that vision, that's going to be a tough road. Elders who don't intentionally come alongside parents to encourage and equip them. So you can delegate the vision, but if you're not coming alongside the parents, you're not equipping and encouraging them to do the very thing that you're calling them to do. Elders and church leaders who don't impart the biblical vision of the body of Christ being all in for pointing youth to Jesus. That was something one of you said, something like that. Just that, how can we impart that vision to the body? One thing I didn't put on there, uh, elders and church leaders who, and I, I mentioned this already, who believe that hiring staff is going to be the solution to this thing. Okay? If you have someone, now, I almost feel like a youth, uh, a youth staff person should almost be considered a next-generation discipleship coordinator, evangelizer, evangelism and discipleship coordinator. They want to connect, they, they want to build up the parents, they want to be one of the people, they can't be the only person, they want to be one of the people who helps build up the parents and connect the, the young people to the body. Um, parents who don't have a vibrant faith in Christ, so if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to talk about him. Or if they're very, you know, they're, they're new Christians or they're, they're, they're just believing lies about, you know, what it means to be a parent and, and point their kids to Christ, um, they don't talk about him because they don't love him enough. We talk about what we love. We talk about what we love, right? Parents who think others are best suited to be the primary disciples and evangelizers of their children. I need to send my kids to the experts, the youth guy, or the pastor, or when God, there is no, like in that Deuteronomy 6, there's no, like, differentiation of experience. It's like, we're all inexperienced, and we all need the Lord's help to do it. Congregations who view a staff person and their volunteers as the, as the ones solely, mainly responsible for pointing the next generation to Christ. So that's that, that having that having that uh, posture of they're taking care of it. Children and youth are segregated from the life of the church, especially worship. Also a busy youth calendar that doesn't include intergenerational community. Youth workers who view themselves as the primary ones who will point the young people of the church to Christ. Youth workers who don't try to equip, come alongside and encourage parents in their biblical role. Youth workers who don't attempt ongoing connection of the youth to the rest of the body of Christ. These are all stoppers, okay? So that's kind of in the negative. Just flip them around and you got the positive. Just flip them around and you got, I believe what God calls us to in the culture we have right now in youth ministry in our churches, okay? All right, we need to end on this one.
Let me pray. Lord, help us to go from here um, into this next uh, topic. Thank you for Andrew and all that you've been doing in his heart to prepare for this. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for your word and for your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.